0: Hello, and welcome to the Arkansas Center for Health Improvement's podcast, Wonks at Work. I'm Craig Wilson, your host, a self-declared wonk, dad of two boys, native Arkansan, and I've been the health policy director at the Arkansas Center for Health Improvement for more than a decade. On this show, we aim to demystify, boil down, and unwonk, if you will, complex topics so that you can understand how the healthcare system is working or not working for you. This is our 42nd episode, and on at least two episodes, we have discussed options or methods used by law enforcement to divert people experiencing a mental health crisis from jail. In an early episode, we talked with Dr. Lisa Evans, who operates the Pulaski County Crisis Stabilization Unit, about their capacity in a 16-bed unit to house and stabilize those in crisis before re-entry into the community. We also talked with Marion Green, who's a licensed counselor and founder of Aspiring for Community Transformations, a program that offers law enforcement in rural areas of Arkansas the ability to connect digitally with counselors to assist with de-escalation and facilitation of treatment options. Clearly, the intersection of mental health and law enforcement is a space in which there is immense need and ongoing innovation and investment. So here to talk with us about his work in this space is Lieutenant Tim Shepard, who has been with the Fayetteville Police Department since 2008, where he has held multiple assignments. I'm about to list a bunch of stuff. Patrol officer, criminal investigator of financial crimes, first line supervisor, crisis stabilization unit coordinator, crisis intervention response team program administrator, and patrol commander he just received his bachelor's from John Brown University and his master's from the University of Arkansas. Thanks so much, Lieutenant Shepard, for joining us and welcome to the show. Glad to be on. Appreciate it. All right. So we're going to jump into some serious stuff because I know you deal with some serious issues. But I want to know first for everybody who's listening, what keeps you busy when you're not working?
1: So up here in Northwest Arkansas, we have a great trail system, as you probably heard. So I love biking and riding on that with my dogs. I have two golden doodles. So Ah. yeah, love those golden (laughs) doodles. They they definitely keep
0: you busy, I'm sure. Oh yeah, (laughs) not
1: guard dogs at all, but yeah. So I mean, (laughs) I spent a lot of time doing those two things. And uh, from there, I just like uh, exercising, working out and doing a lot of reading sci-fi and fantasy.
0: Excellent, excellent. Trying to keep in shape. I should do more of that myself. Um, So I asked this of all of our wonky guests. What would you say is your theme song?
1: So I probably have two. First, anything from the album Lincoln Park Reanimated. That's oh,
0: it. Wow. Yeah.
1: I love that. That's my get going and then uh probably amazing grace. I just keep my catching myself humming that throughout well, life every so often without even realizing it. Uh...
0: Uh, that's a that's a good go to. Mm-hmm. Um, so um, I want to know now that we're getting to, to the little bit more serious stuff. Mm-hmm. What drew you to the field of law enforcement? Well, so I always had an interest
1: in it, but it kind of happened by accident. I was very skeptical of police. Um, I had a so I was adopted uh, when I was younger, and I just I I had a great family that adopted me, but I had a lot of issues when I was growing up uh yeah. probably a reactive attachment disorder is what they maybe told me a lot uh, of
0: understandable issues. yeah
1: so uh <laughs> i had moved out at 16 17 and i kind of was on my own and i had some run-ins and they treated me really well but also they weren't fast enough to catch me on the ones that counted so <laughs> so i kind <laughs> of like i had a skepticism i also had a run-in um with law enforcement where i was falsely accused of something and it really you know made me long-term very skeptical of some of that process but I had some friends and an uncle that an uncle that actually worked for the Fayetteville Police Department and you know just listening to them talk it sounded like it was a job where you know your every day was different and you weren't just sitting behind a desk which is unfortunately what I do now only but <laughs> at the time you know it's just the environment is always changing and it was you know there's moments of excitement your day's always different. And that really drew me to it. And then when I started doing it, it was even better than I thought at the time. Uh just fascinating. You can and you can really impact people if you have the right intentions. Mm-hmm. If you can really help people, and there's just not a lot of jobs like that. You know, a yeah. lot of my peers that I went to college with uh work in the private sector at, you know, companies up here, you, you know, everybody knows what's in northwest Arkansas. So I'm not gonna name specific places, but you know, even though they're making a lot of money, they they voice their not fulfilled, you know. So, and I don't have that issue. I mean, there's a lot of baggage that comes with law enforcement working in this career. You know, mm-hmm. you take on a lot, but at the same time, I don't feel like I'm unfulfilled as far as what I'm bringing to society. If that makes yeah. sense, it's been very satisfying.
0: Quite the quite the turnaround in in your. City. Oh yeah,
1: I was pretty wild there. So, but you know, that gives you empathy too, though, because you realize, you know, people you deal with that could have been me yeah. if it just you know one difference in in situation or luck, right? And once you if you really and I think a lot of people have that and maybe don't realize it, you know, if they yeah. just really take that approach and look at it that from that angle.
0: Yeah, it, it speaks a lot to the the importance of grace and in the importance of, of having some good people around you, some good mentors that even in challenging circumstances at home, you can turn to and they can help you through those. those challenges. Absolutely. Yeah. yeah. So um, we've dis- discussed the crisis stabilization units on the show before. Uh, But tell us a little bit about your experience with the one in Northwest Arkansas and its its impact on encounters with with police there. So it's it's been a mixed bag. And
1: that's not because there's any issue with the crisis stabilization itself. Uh, Kristen McAllister runs it up here and she is great to work with. Very responsive. But, you know, I don't know if you're aware there was some funding issues and it was shut down and then UAMS took over. And I think stuff is getting lined out and it's going to be very good. I do think the public doesn't really understand what the CSU does because, you know, there's that component of, you know, they have to be consenting to services. Sure. A lot of people have this idea that, you know, we could take a person that maybe had assaulted somebody or is aggressive or violent to these facilities versus arresting them. But, you know, obviously the CSU will not take those individuals in. So in a lot of ways, I mean, I think it's a great resource. We utilize it as often as we can. when I was tracking that as of last year, only about 10 to 11% were in lieu of an arrest charge. Most of them were just individuals in crisis. Now, how I view that, though, is if we can intervene early in that process, maybe there wasn't a criminal aspect there. But if you look at these types of individuals, they have a lot of contact with law enforcement. Right. And so maybe that intervention there, even though it wasn't in lieu of an arrest, could prevent an arrest
0: down the line. It, so it, Yeah, I think you're absolutely right. And and. Some of the analysis that we've done on the on the Fort Smith crisis stabilization unit has shown exactly that. So, um, yeah, that you you it's the intake, what you can't measure the intangible in the future. Um, that's that's what you really want to capture, and I, I think that's that's happening on on a considerable number of, of occasions.
1: I definitely believe it is.
0: Um, so, tell us about the the grant funded work that you're doing with the social workers and the crisis intervention response team.
1: So in 2021, we applied for a DOJ grant that would fund the hiring of two social workers Uh, and some training on top of that. We actually were one of 33 law enforcement agencies in the entire country to receive that grant. So then we were able to hire those two social workers and the city uh, matched that by allowing us to have two positions for crisis intervention trained officers to partner and pair with those social Mm. workers to go out into the field, uh, to work in the field directly. And then, uh, and we can talk about that if you want to more, but also coupled with that, you know, we have a strong relationship with the University of Arkansas School of Social Work here in Fayetteville. Okay. They've been excellent to work with. They've been helping us with programmatic I- issues, like developing it from the ground up. Dr. Mark Plassmeyer, Dr. Kim Stoss, Professor Ananda Rosa and Payne. Mm-hmm. Uh, just, so I want to give credit there, but they're helping yeah. us through this process. And simultaneously, also, they applied for a grant to study our program, to do a program eval. Of the program which is actually very rare you know because there's a lot of these types of programs in the nation but they're all different yeah best practice they you know they're very they're just all over the board so and there's very few actual qualitative quantitative studies of these types of programs so they actually receive this funding um to do this program or study of this program so i think that's a huge opportunity there and that i almost think that's just as important as getting the- <laughs> on the ground
0: it definitely yeah. is yeah and we yeah, because
1: that we also just if, recently applied for another grant to hire more social. Okay, workers. yeah. So that,
0: yeah, that, I mean that that hearing that from from my standpoint, <laughs> in a policy and programmatic standpoint, um, that that evaluation is critical to know if what you're doing is working. Yeah, um, and making a difference. So yeah, t- tell me a little bit more about how it operates
1: yeah so you know this is still in the pilot program phase you know we want to be agile and able to adjust our scope and what we're doing we're exam you know how it started was we had a master's level intern uh before we actually received the grant funding and he would initially in that first semester officers would make referrals so they would be out in the field come across somebody you know on a welfare concern type call or a mental health crisis or a Report of self-harm like a suicide attempt. Yeah. And they would make a referral and then the social worker intern, uh, with working along with the U of A professors that were guiding him in the placement, sure, but uh follow up after the fact. Well, mm-hmm. we were noticing that we had a really low rate of connection with these people after the fact. So obviously the next thing to do was get them in the field. And you know, there's a lot of it, we, a lot of worries there, like putting an intern that's not actually a city employee at the time in the field yeah. in those settings. But we, you know, we worked through that and we did it. So they started pairing with an officer and going out in real time. We gave them iPads so that they could try to work through the resources immediately in in real time. Oh, yeah. And we noticed our success rates climbing at that point. And this is, and keep in mind, this is still with an intern that's only working 24 hours a week. So it's very, wow. limited. yeah. So, you know, that continued to build. And there's a lot of processes, programmatic stuff that we had to uh, develop. We wanted it to be as easy as possible for officers to utilize this program. I view it as just a specialized division. You know, in law enforcement, there used to just be street or B cops. And then there became detective divisions and there became yes. act- motor vehicle accident reconstructors. These are just specialized individuals for a certain issue in our community. And they're just so much more efficient because that's what they deal with yeah you know, and it is really removes a burden off of patrol. And so, as we've developed this, we've added a sergeant to the uh, team, so he's the directs he works directly with the individual we hired who was actually our first intern. and so that first intern we hired is the lead social services advocate. So he's an LMSW level uh, person mm-hmm. and he's paired with that police supervisor. and then underneath that we've hired another social services advocate and another officer that's now paired together. So we have a team of four. So they, you know, they do anything from those referrals that are coming in. And we take those referrals from, you know, the city hall. I mean, you know, because mm-hmm. just imagine there's stuff that comes into multiple agencies, yeah. emails and stuff. They're concerning. <laughs> and we, you know, we are the ones who can follow up and offer those people services and see if they need help. And it just slowly just kept expanding. So, but they That's go on the field. But, you know, one of the issues we're having right now is the demand is so high that it is hard to get those services in real time out in the field. Uh. because They're so busy now. I mean, we're over about 980 referrals just from officers to the program. Wow. So it's just, and they've really bought into it. They love the program.
0: A lot of need out there. Yeah. Um, How about a, you got a human angle, you got a story you can tell? Oh
1: yeah. So I, you know, I have, we, you know, these, these social service advocates or social workers, They're like the Swiss army knife of solving issues. And I've been really impressed with how they solve these issues because sometimes they're innovative. You know, we've had, you know, one of our first people we helped because that was one of the big problems when we first started. It's like, how do we actually help people when you're starting? from? You know, because I'm not a social worker. I don't know. So, you know, one of the first people we assisted was an individual that was driving. He had a suspended driver's license, several failure to appear warrants. And we were able to get those warrants removed and help him get his driver's license back. And that seems like a small deal. But, uh, you know, Arkansas is a rural state. You have to drive anywhere yeah. to, get to work. And so helping that person be able to drive to work can prevent tons of fines and, and stop some of those issues going down the line. Uh, one, uh, some other examples, we yeah. had a, an individual who's very mentally ill. She's homeless. She went and talked with officers. Um, she, we were averaging about 60 calls on her per year. Our social worker was able to develop a relationship with her. Those calls ended. Wow. And in fact, she actually brought a missing missing juvenile, tricked him to coming to the police department to give him to us. And this is somebody who had never talked to us. Wow. Yeah. So and then I guess one more. I mean, I have so many stories. It's just been super impactful because they really they come up with innovative ideas outside of just connecting people's supportive services. Uh, There was a mother who was about 65 years old, and she had a 30-year-old son with some learning disabilities, Uh Um, and he was having a lot of issues. And they were able to connect him with uh, one of our community centers here and get him some work and the creative aspect. And actually, so he was like actually getting out of the house, engaging with other people, which was a problem he was having. And it really helped that whole family unit Um, And, you know, it's just stuff like that. And it ended the call we were taking on there. And, you know, that was not I mean, that's kind of thinking outside the box. And they do that all the time. And it's really impressive. I could I could just say story after story. It's
0: amazing. Amazing. This is all fantastic. I want to know from your standpoint, what are we still missing? What, What are we not quite getting right to better address, particularly mental health challenges upon encounters with law enforcement?
1: Well, as probably anybody who's listening to this type of podcast would know, I mean, in the past, long ago, you know, there was more psychiatric units. And I'm not saying they were ran correctly. I mean, I know there's a huge history there. But when those got dissolved, I mean, law enforcement took up all that. What was I mean, we took up on on all of that. We were never designed for that. Um, And so, you know, what I've noticed with this program, there's a lot of people that want to help us. But a lot of their ideas are actually just adding on work for us and i'm not against that in certain situations but you know i'm in a city of almost hundred thousand people and staffing a patrol beats with 10 officers you know yeah. so they don't have a lot of time you know so yeah. we have a lot of people coming to us soliciting training that wanting to train us on all these things stuff we've already trained on and they're re- they mean well yeah we need you know there's just at the end of the day there are calls we go to that probably the police should not go to but somebody has to step up and do the take that on. Yeah. You know, this goes across. And Fable is really good for that. But I see this across, I mean, all jurisdictions. You know, cops don't want to go to homeless call, homeless people calls. They don't want to go and have to deal with somebody who is suicidal or mentally ill. That is better suited for a, a professional that deals with just that because sure. you have to have the right demeanor and patience to deal with that yeah I, you know even me it's tough sometimes because you know anybody who's dealt with those situations they are complex and very protracted and i mean you, they're not a, there's no quick fix to that
0: yeah and and finding them a, a connection into yes. the healthcare system um can be difficult for an officer who's not familiar and can navigate um, it. Or,
1: well i mean how are they going to know to sign people up for this service yeah. i mean it is not made easy you know it is
0: not made easy yeah so, yeah. so. um so for others who might want to start programs like this or something that's scaled differently, um, what guidance would you have?
1: Well, I think the important thing is, you know, being open minded and having good faith conversations. You know, you could easily have a situation because at the end of the day, we're going to need guidance from professionals. If you're going to develop a program, it would be hard for a police department. You know, like I said, I'm not a social worker. I need to go to those people who have knowledge in that sector. You know, mm-hmm. I have my own. You know, we have our lane and they have theirs, but you have to be open-minded. There has to be a good faith conversation. You have to be open to trying stuff that is not normal for a police department, you know? Yeah. And and that goes on the other side as well. Like, they, good faith conversations, keeping in mind who you're trying to help is so important. If you can keep that in mind and not get into ego and, yeah. you know, pride. I mean, there's so many levels that there can be friction without even realizing. And we've been so lucky that has not happened here. But I have heard in other jurisdictions trying to launch stuff like this, everybody has an ego sometimes, and you have to fight that because we're trying to help people. And I think everybody needs to
0: come together for that. If if your if your evaluation of the program can measure the the trust involved, (laughs) that would probably be a key uh, success point, right? Um. So my final question is. If there were one piece of advice you would give for someone wanting to get involved in this work, in this work, meaning law enforcement with the kind of angle that you have, what would that be?
1: Uh Humility. And so, and that goes, that's a complex issue right there. You need to, one of the best things I learned in undergrad it was a professor that taught me how to think from another person's viewpoint, mm-hmm. even if I don't agree with that viewpoint. You know, <laughs> so just being able to put yourself in somebody else's shoes, even if you don't agree with it. To just kind of feel where they're coming from. And I developed that over time because, you know, I'm not perfect. There's moments where that does not happen. (laughs) I mean, it does not happen all the time. But if you can remind yourself to do that, you can go a long ways because you don't view somebody. You need to view them as a person. Like even some of the worst people I've had to deal with, if you look at their background, you can almost see how they got there. You know, it is really sad. And not to say what they're doing now is okay. and doesn't need to be corrected or dealt with. But if you can have that empathy, it goes a long way.
0: Yeah. it's an important lesson we can all learn even outside the law enforcement space. And certainly, you know, for, for you uh, and your story, uh, it could have ended up very differently. So having that perspective is really important. Absolutely. Uh, Thank you so much for joining us, Lieutenant Shepard. I wish you success in your, in your program up there in Northwest Arkansas, and hopefully we can see more of that across the state. Absolutely. I really appreciate it. Thank you. Thank you for listening to Wonks at Work. You can listen to our bi weekly podcast on our website, achi.net. A special thanks to the Bobby L. Roberts Library of Arkansas History and Art, which is a part of the Central Arkansas Library System, for allowing us to use their studio to record. If you have any topics you would like for us to consider, please email us at, achi at achi.net. As a reminder, The views, information, and opinions expressed by our podcast guests are solely those of the guests and do not necessarily represent those of the Arkansas Center for Health Improvement. The primary purpose of this podcast is to educate and inform. The podcast does not constitute medical, legal, or other professional advice or services. We hope you've enjoyed our latest episode, and again, thanks for listening.